Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, what is a price? We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy, or for those who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we're going to be talking about what is a price. Now, uh, for those of you who are listening, you might think like, duh, like I know what a price is, but there's an awful lot of information that lies behind a price And this is sort of the whole purpose for us doing these IPI Policy Basics podcasts is to explain what's going on sort of behind the scenes on things that we just take for granted. So let's talk about what is a price. The main takeaway from today's Policy Basics episode is that a price is information. There is deep, incredible information embedded in a price. So let's talk about a specific example. Let's just say you go to the grocery store and you're 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 buying a pint of strawberries. And so a pint of strawberries is $1.29. Okay. So let's talk about what lies behind that $1.29 price for strawberries. It's not arbitrary. It's not pulled out of the air. Behind that price of of a pint of strawberries is an almost infinite amount of information. So for instance, a farmer somewhere had to grow those strawberries. That farmer had to pay for water. That farmer had to pay for fertilizer. That farmer had to pay for his land. That farmer had to make payments on his equipment. That farmer had to pay laborers to come in and to pull weeds and to fertilize the strawberries. The other thing that's relevant in there is the idea of weather. Did we have abundant rain? Did we have not enough rain? Was the weather favorable to strawberry production that year? Was it unfavorable to strawberry production? Did we have an abundance of strawberries? Did we have a dearth or a shortage of strawberries? All of that information is embedded in that price, but there's even more because that farmer doesn't sell directly to the grocery store. That farmer sells to a co-op or to a distributor or to a wholesaler. And that wholesaler has to transport those strawberries to market. So what's the cost of energy? What's the cost of truck drivers? What's the cause of diesel fuel? What's the, what's the cost of storage of those strawberries of refrigeration? All of that information is reflected in that price. But then the straw, that, that, that pint of strawberries arrives at the grocery store. Now the grocer, now the produce manager has a decision to make. What do I think I can sell these strawberries for at this point in time? Is it July 4th? Do people tend to make strawberry shortcake on July 4th? Is it rainy? Do people not tend to buy strawberries when it's rainy? All of this information is embedded in that price. So when you go to the store or when you look at the price of an object, that is not an an arbitrary thing that's pulled out of the air. A price is information. There's an enormous amount of information that is buried in that price. And this is one of the brilliant things about a market economy 
is that prices do something called signaling. There are really three functions that prices perform in a market economy. The first one is signaling. Prices give you information. They tell you things. If you walk into a store and you say, holy cow, strawberries are twice as expensive this week as they were last week, that tells you something. It tells you something about supply and demand. It tells you things you may not even know, again, about the abundance of strawberries or the scarcity of strawberries. It's a signaling thing. And if prices are very, very high for strawberries, it may send a signal to farmers to produce more strawberries. It may send a signal to the grocery store to buy more strawberries because the prices are high. So prices perform this signaling function in a free market economy. Another thing that prices perform is rationing. Uh, For any good, for any good whatsoever, there's not enough for everyone to have as much as they want. It doesn't matter what the good is. It doesn't matter whether it's the price of strawberries. It doesn't matter whether it's computers. It doesn't matter whether it's cars. It doesn't matter whether it's T-shirts. It doesn't matter whether it's ribeye steaks. Everything is scarce. This is a key concept in economics. There's not enough for everyone to have as much as they want. And so because things are scarce, we have to come up with a system that allocates scarce goods. So how do we do that? Well, in a market economy, we use prices to allocate. We say if something is scarce, the price will be high, and people can choose whether or not to buy it. So if I walk into the store and the price of strawberries is $10 a pint, and granted this is being like ridiculous and hyperbolic, but if the price of strawberries is $10 a pint, I ain't buying them. But if it's $0.89 a pint, I probably will buy them. And so this is how we allocate scarce resources in a market economy. Anyone who's ever bought a laptop computer knows that the laptop computers that have the latest, fastest chips are expensive, but the laptop computers that are one or two generations behind are a lot cheaper. And this is how we allocate resources in a market economy. We use the price signal to allocate those resources. Now, the The opposite of that, for instance, is socialism, okay, where you have the government determining what the price of something is and the government saying, well, everyone has a right to have as much of this as they possibly want. Well, the problem is when you have scarce goods, when you don't have as much of something as everyone possibly wants, then socialism doesn't work. How do you allocate scarce goods The amount of goods is limited. The amount of demand is unlimited. So how do you figure that out? So this is the genius of a market economy, that it uses prices to ration things. And if you think about back during the days of the Soviet Union, or if you think about today in Cuba or in Venezuela and some of these communist and socialist economies, you see pictures of people waiting in line to buy bread. You see pictures of stores with empty shelves. You see pictures of people waiting in line to try to buy gas, and you ask, why is that? Why is there not enough of the goods or the services to go around? And the answer is because they are trying to allocate things on some basis other than price. They're trying to allocate things based on this socialist idea that everyone deserves as much of everything 
as they want, and it just doesn't work. And that brings us to sort of the third thing that prices do, and that is that prices create incentives. If the price for something goes up, it creates an incentive for producers to produce more, right? So if you're a strawberry farmer and all of a sudden the price of strawberries has tripled, right? What is going to be your natural reaction? Dude, I need to produce more strawberries, right? (laughs) That's what I need to do. If you make plywood and the cost of plywood goes up, you're going to say, man, we need to add a third shift. Uh, We need to do something to create more plywood because the plywood has gone up. If everyone is afraid of COVID-19 and a vaccine comes along for COVID-19 and everyone wants the vaccine, the vaccine producers say, dude, we need to put on a third shift. We need to produce more vaccines. So prices create those sort of incentives for people to create more of a good. And when you see economic systems like the Soviet Union, or like Venezuela, which has some of the world's largest reserves of oil, but yet they can't produce enough gasoline for the economy. When you see a country like Iran, right, which also has some of the world's largest reserves of oil, but they can't produce enough gasoline for their economy. And you say, how can that possibly be? How can it be that you have this incredible natural blessing of all of this oil, but you can't produce enough gasoline for people? And the answer is that they don't utilize the price signal and the price incentive for production. Now, there are some really important implications for this. If you understand that what a a price is not an arbitrary thing, a price is an incredible amount of information. So the first implication of this, I think, is that an economy, when when you talk about the economy of the United States or the economy of some country, An economy is not just a way of moving around green pieces of paper, money. It's not just about moving around green pieces of paper. An economy is an information processing system. An economy is answering questions. What should be the price of a pint of strawberries at this moment in time? What should be the price of a ribeye steak at this moment in time? What should be the price of a four-foot-by-eight-foot sheet of plywood at this moment in time. And you have this incredible supercomputer called an economy that is processing information that is driven by the real-time decisions of 330 million American people in real time that are making these choices. Should I or should I or not order this new pair of shoes or this new pair of socks or this pint of strawberries or this game console, or this sheet of plywood. All of that is going on in real time, and it is an astonishing amount of information that is being processed in real time by the economy. Now, one of my goals for this podcast topic is to sort of engender in our listeners an appreciation for the complexity and the brilliance of markets and being able to handle all of this information in real time, because that produce manager at that grocery store has to decide, okay, so I paid 89 cents a pint for these strawberries. What can I sell them for? Well, again, is it July 4th? Is this a time when lots of people like to make strawberry shortcake? Or did we have a strange downturn in the the 
temperature and is it cold and is nobody interested in making strawberry shortcake? All of this real-time information affects prices. So this is why prices change. This is why you might go into a store one day and the price of a pint of strawberries might be $1.29. And the next day, the price of a pint of strawberries might be 79 cents. This is why prices change. This is why the prices of a gallon of gasoline changes. This is why you walk into the grocery store and you see that ribeye steaks are on sale this week. Well, something happened. Apparently, people didn't buy as many ribeye steaks as they were planning to, right? Or apparently there was an oversupply. So there's a genius in the price mechanism that it deals in real time with all of this information. So what are the implications of that? First of all, the first implication is that price controls are just stupid. If you understand how complex the price mechanism is, then how stupid is it for a government bureaucrat to just decree? You know what? I think the price of telephone service ought to be $19.25 a month. But that is literally how, in some cases, prices are determined, by government bureaucrats pulling numbers out of thin air and just making decrees. So this is why price controls make no sense, because price controls are a complete end run around all of this brilliance and genius of the market processing all of this information at one time. There's another interesting implication of this, and this is the idea of price gouging. Uh, You may be familiar with the phenomenon of like a hurricane is coming along, and all of a sudden Home Depot raises the prices of a sheet of plywood higher than the normal price. And a lot of states have laws against this. They say, oh, that's price gouging. That's wrong. We're going to prosecute you for that. Well, all that is is a price signal. When you, have a, when you have a hurricane coming, when you have a shortage of plywood or something like that, it is only natural for prices to go up. That's a price signal to producers to produce more, to wholesalers to distribute more, et cetera, et cetera. So if you have anti-price gouging laws at the state level, what you're essentially doing is you're trying to defeat this brilliant market mechanism this brilliant information processing system of prices. And then the third implication is the idea of early adopters and innovation. I think we all understand that when something is new, it tends to be expensive. The latest computer chip tends to be expensive. The latest game console tends to be expensive. The latest designer dress tends to be expensive. And so the early adopters pay more for fashion, for technology, for entertainment, but they do so willingly. And it's their willingness to pay more for these things in the early stages that actually help the price come down and make those goods become more available to the average consumer later on. So what the price mechanism actually does is it allows early adopters to buy into new goods and services to cover those sort of upfront R&D costs for creating those new goods And it makes it possible for those of us who are average consumers to actually access those goods and services later on at lower prices. So the point of this Policy Basics podcast is to point out that there's a lot more going on behind a price than you might think. There's an enormous amount of information embedded in a price, and that's why government should stay out of the business of trying to affect prices 
Let the market determine what prices are. Let the information processing system work. Let the supercomputer of a free market economy do its job. And let's not have government get involved in trying to introduce bugs into the information processing system by introducing price controls or laws against price gouging. Well, that's our talk today about what is a price. And we hope that you have increased appreciation today for what may lie behind the price of a pint of strawberries at your local grocery store. You can find a lot more about prices and the economy at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts and make them possible by becoming a member of our Giving Society. And you can find out more about our Giving Society at IPI.org as well. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.